Father, we thank you for um, uh, today, and we thank you for um, just even the opportunity Tony had uh, this last week um, in his line of work. I pray that you would give him further opportunities in the future um, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim your redemption through Christ. And Lord, we do pray. We pray for opportunities with uh, the um, generation that's coming up, Lord God, um, there's so much um, uh, darkness in our world and also just that um, has uh, our youth have access to, so we just pray for wisdom and how to engage them. Uh, Lord, we pray for this morning as we continue to talk about knowing you and what that looks like and how we know you. Uh, Lord, bless this time. Uh, be with those who are sick, like Rachel. Uh, and those who are still recovering, even like uh, Brother Kevin, thank you that he's able to come and be with us this morning. Just pray for, for grace, O oh Lord God, for those who aren't able to make it. Bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, just a review. We talked about first week that um, we could really describe all of uh, the design of human existence, um, especially uh, as a redeemed uh, humans, uh, that knowing God is that goal. Um, John 17, 3, you could kind of think of as kind of the keynote verse for that. Um, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. And so then we talked about this idea of, yeah, but what does it mean to know God? Um, what does it mean to know in general? So we talked about uh, uh, notional knowledge, knowing facts. We talked about uh, relational knowledge, knowing as a person, knowing a person, uh, relational intimacy, um, affectional knowledge, uh, knowledge that changes your disposition, so not just knowing facts, but then your disposition is changed by those, and then actional knowledge, and knowledge is a skill. I know how to do a task. Um, and so we talked about um, the goal of, uh, of course, the goal of human existence, the goal of redemption is knowing God. Uh, but if you compare, say, Eden to the new creation, you could describe that as knowing God face-to-face, -face, knowing him uh, in an intimate and close way. And so we kind of have this working definition of knowing God. Knowing God as God has designed us to know him means having a peaceful and intimate relationship with him, so there's our relational knowledge, through his initiative, being known by God, in which we increasingly know more about him, there's our notional sense, such that our affections are changed by this knowledge. Uh, uh, that's the affectional sense, or you could call that love, um, such that we respond to him properly. So all of these kind of interrelate as we think about knowing God. And so then we asked this question last week, okay, if that's the goal, uh, how do we do it? How do we know God? And we kind of can go down that list of the different ways of knowing God. So we started with the relational. How can you have a peaceful and intimate relationship with God well, that comes ultimately from God taking the initiative, for God knowing or foreknowing uh, uh, an individual from eternity past, but then that individual is called in time to uh, the gospel and to belief in Christ, such that um, we said that everyone knows God. It's just a question of whether they have a, a relationship of enmity or a relationship of peace. So how do we move from enmity to peace? It is through trust in Jesus Christ. It is the Son that makes the Father known. Uh, we know that from Matthew eleven twenty seven. So that's where we were talking about the relational side of how do we know God. Really, we're talking about the gospel at that point and God's foreknowledge of us um, that, that is the backdrop for that. And then we moved into, okay, but if we're in a peaceful relationship with God, we want to know more about God. We want to have more notional knowledge of God. Uh, uh, it's not wrong or bad to have notional knowledge as long as you don't just stop there. And so we were talking about, well, how um, do we know God notionally? Uh, in what ways uh, can we know God more? And here again, God has to take the initiative. God can veil himself, uh, like, or think about it like this, we cannot know God. There is no way to break into inner Trinitarian life uh, that has been going on for all eternity unless the Trinity takes the initiative to communicate, um, uh, uh, the persons take the initiative to communicate themselves. And so we talked about that, and so that brought us up to the need of revelation. And so we talked about, well, okay, what sources of revelation do we have? God needs to reveal himself, God needs to disclose himself, God needs to communicate 
himself. How does he do it? What means, what media does he use? Uh, and so then we talked a lot last week in a good way about creation, right? God communicates himself through creation. We looked at Romans 1, 18 through 23. Uh, people are without excuse because what can known about, be known about God, his uh, eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. Uh, Psalm 19, 1 through 6, the heavens declare the glory of God. Um, so that idea of uh, creation itself is a medium a, uh, for God's revelation. Uh, what can we know? Well, we can know some of God's attributes. We can know there is a God. We can know that um, he is uh, a powerful, that he's great. We can even said from uh, Acts, uh, as Paul and Barnabas were talking to the folks at Lystra, you can even know that God is good um, from creation. So you can know true facts about God from creation because creation is a way, a medium for God to reveal himself. Okay? So we've kind of got creation as one of those aspects of God's revelation. What are other mediums uh, what are other means by which God reveals himself? We're thinking big picture, from what you see in the scriptures, from what we can know. Um, what, what are ways that God reveals himself, discloses himself, communicates himself? Other than creation. So creation's one way. Scripture, right. And even um, think about a, a little bit broader than Scripture, but still in the same neighborhood. Uh, what is Scripture? It's God's Word, meaning, well, it's God's Word, meaning what? God is speaking. Yeah, God is speaking. Um, so... <laughs> Starts with um, S, ends with eking, uh, or speaking, peaking. Um, uh, yeah, God is speaking God's word. Now, what, let's think about that for a minute. Even with what we know from the scriptures, how does God speak? He speaks through people. Uh, yes, what do we call that when God speaks through people? Prophecy, exactly, right? So, uh, is now here's a question: Is that direct or indirect speech by God? Indirect, right? It is indirect. It is uh, God is totally capable of taking a human instrument and communicating what He wants. So we're not saying there's any fault in in doing that. It's just indirect, right? Does God communicate with people directly? He has, yeah, exactly. So he has. In time and in the past, God has communicated directly. Can you think of examples, uh, and there are, there are multiple, but can you think of examples in the scriptures that record when God has spoken directly to people? Yeah, through Moses. In fact, that's a great example. Go to Deuteronomy 5. Uh, so... Uh, were you thinking of a specific instance, Bruce, when he's talking to Moses? Sure, so that whole, you could, you could probably single out, of course, when God talks to Moses on the mount to begin with, but then later when he goes up to Mount Sinai, he's talking with God directly. And, uh, and uh, if Deuteronomy 5, um, God is, what, what does God do when he gives the Ten Commandments? Who's he speaking to? Israel, and he's speaking uh, as directly as he can. Um, he's still hidden, right? There's still distance, um, but he is speaking with a voice from the mountain, from the mountain that's like smoking and trembling and all of this stuff, right? Uh, really scary scene, but he is speaking directly to Israel. But then that it brings us uh, an interesting situation. So, will someone read Deuteronomy 5, 22 through 31. I'll wait.
Okay, so what do you see from this text about God speaking with people and revealing himself to people? Yeah. Yeah, uh, why? Why do they, what, what reason do they say, uh, this, is, this is amazing that God is speaking with man, but what are they afraid of? They're fearful. Yeah. And why is this, right? Why are they afraid that it's, they're going to be destroyed? Think big picture. Why, why, would, why would they be afraid that they're going to be destroyed? They're sinful. Exactly. That's the issue, right? Is, um, can you think of another period in history where um, God spoke with man and there was no fear and there was face-to-faceness? Eden, right? Um, uh, it's interesting to contrast Eden and Sinai, right? Uh, where in the first case, in Eden, um, there is no sin, um, and man can, God can speak to man and does speak to man face-to-face, directly, um, and there's no fear, right? It's that idea of um, closeness, intimacy, peace. But here, in a sinful world, Israel, even, this is a good thing that they can draw near to God, and yet because of sinfulness, right, uh, God is manifesting himself in fire and um, in smoke on a mountain, um, and they can only come so far, right? And so what's their solution, right? Uh, God does speak, has spoken directly um, with people, uh, but what is the solution then that they come up with? They're afraid they're going to die if they keep hearing this voice because they're sinful, but what's the solution? Yeah, Moses becomes a mediator. He, um, and it goes back to what Bruce was saying, right? Like, he's the one that goes up uh, for the rest of the giving of the law onto the mountain. He hears from God directly, and then he passes it along. So God is speaking to Moses then, but then he's also speaking to Israel but he's speaking how? Not directly, but indirectly. Uh, this is, establishes the office of prophet, right? This is what prophets do. They're intermediaries for relaying God's words, right? But it's indirect. Um, so really, if you think about it, uh, what we have in terms of prophecy, uh, is, um, the indirectness of it is a, uh, is a result of the fall, right? God has to communicate indirectly, uh, through means, through mediators, uh, because otherwise a sinful people can't bear to hear God's voice directly. Um, so God does, has spoken to people directly, but this isn't something we want. Like people, you know, would say, well, we would love for God to show up and speak to us directly. I mean, that's kind of Job's thing. If you think, that's another way to think about it. Think about Job, right? Job throughout a lot of it is like, I wish that God would show up and talk to me. And then he does, and then Job is like, frightened to death, right, um, because of God's majesty and who, all of who he is. So really, as sinners, we don't want God to show up and speak to us directly because we would die. <laughs> um, what we need is indirect means of revelation, um, which it brings us to prophecy, and as a specific case of prophecy, what? Not just prophets, because there's cases where, think about prophecy for a second. So what happens in the, uh, when, when, um, with prophets? How does God use prophets? Go speak, right? And, and we know there are cases, and we can see recorded cases of prophets speaking how. How are the prophets, by what means are the prophets speaking? Let's put it that way. Well, yeah, they're speaking judgment. That's the content of what they're speaking. But they're speaking verbally, orally, right? So first and foremost, prophets speak orally uh, to people. And there's a lot of prophets that we can know uh, and, and get hints of from the Old Testament that spoke orally but didn't write anything down. That was revelation, that was God revealing himself through a prophet, and yet it's not preserved for us. You see what I'm saying there? So when we talk about God's word, 
God can speak directly. He can also speak indirectly through the words of prophets. And even in Numbers 12, 1 through 9, when he's talking about the difference between Moses and other prophets, he says, I communicate to prophets through dreams and visions. God uses dreams and visions for, to communicate information to his prophets to then pass on to his people. Moses was special because he knew God face to face. In a way, he got as close as he could um, to what is desirable, right? For God, uh, people to hear God, know God face to face. But even Moses could only go so far. But um, then we talk about God's word as scripture, right? So when we're talking about God's word, there are multiple instances uh, where uh, it could be direct, it could be indirect through prophets orally, or it could be indirect through prophets written, which is what we call scripture, right? Uh, go to our, one of our favorite verses with regard to scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16. Uh, someone read Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. Okay, what is the key language that tells us that God is speaking through Scripture? Breathed out, exactly. It's the idea of, well, breathed out. When I speak, I'm breathing out, right? Um, I'm exhaling to uh, breathe out uh, um, words. And uh, we're using that language here to speak of God speaking through Scripture. But Scripture is indirect, right? It is necessarily indirect um, because we are a sinful people and we need... um, we need uh, God to speak to us, but we can't draw near. We need a mediator, and so we need a prophet, and we need prophets, and those prophets write things down, right? Again, all of this is under the heading, how do we know God? So we go back to the question, um, have people known God in the past through direct speech? Yes, right? Have people known God through the oral speaking of prophets that didn't get written down? Yeah. Uh, does that happen today? People claim it does, claim it does for sure, right? Um, and if, if God so chose, he could do so, right? But we believe at this point in redemptive history, he is not speaking in that way, but he is still speaking through the scriptures, right? Because the scriptures are God-breathed. Um, so when we think about how do we know God, we've got creation that Uh, teaches us um, things about God, but we have more um, foundationally, um, or I don't know if that's the right way to put it, the primary means that we're going to go to to know God in a notional sense, know facts about God, is the scriptures themselves. And we know this, but we kind of want to set it in that context of, um, of all the ways that God reveals himself and communicates himself, okay? Uh, questions up to this point. Does this make sense? How do we know God is the question. And we know God through creation. We know God through his word. There's one other arguable way that we know God in a notional sense or can know about God in a notional sense. And this one's more along the lines of creation but slightly different. How else does God make himself known? Okay, what do you mean by that? Okay. Um, well, yeah, yeah, and that's, we have a, a sense in which um, uh, the Spirit uh, does work in people's lives. Yeah, and that's where you would have to kind of say, well, how does the Spirit, we would talk about, like, how does the Spirit work in a believer's life um, to communicate? And normally, the way that's going to work is he's going to bring to mind, like, the Scriptures, illumine the Scriptures, take that other medium of revelation, the Scriptures, and, you know, apply them to us. 
Otherwise, we would have to say that someone's receiving private revelation, right? Because if the Spirit speaks directly to me, then at that point, I'm a prophet, or at least I'm claiming to be, versus like the Spirit illumining the Scriptures to then apply them to my life and aid and empower me to apply the Scriptures to my life. But there's one other way, um, history, history, God's acts in history, um, and Scripture speaks to this. Uh, go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah. So we've got creation. We've got um, the Word of God and all its manifestations. Um, and then we've got history or acts, God's acts in history, you could say. Uh, go to Isaiah 46. We'll look at a couple passages to support this idea, but um, Acts, oops, excuse me, not Acts, Isaiah 46, and someone read verses 8 through 11. Through 11, please. Okay, so what is God saying here? Okay, bring about his purposes uh, in time and in history, right? So God, what happens, uh, God says he dec um, declares the end from the beginning, right? So he has a purpose, he has a counsel uh, that he then realizes in time. Right? The events that happen uh, are from God. Right? Uh, they are his design. They are his purpose from the, e the end, from the beginning. Um, now, uh, what, uh, uh, so that at least says that God, what we see in history, what unfolds in history, what unfolds in time is from God, ultimately. Um, it is uh, a revelation. It is him disclosing things, uh, disclosing reality uh, one step at a time. Uh, but even more than that, turn to Psalm 145, just a couple pages to your left. We see that um, someone read uh, Psalm 145, one don't forget the heading. The heading is part of the scriptures, um, even though the verse doesn't start there. Um, Psalm 145, 1 through uh, 7. Uh, 1 through 9, if you don't mind. Psalm 145, 1 through 9. Someone read that. There's two. Okay. That, that. So there's the you're probably got a, a, a superscript, um, two superscripts in your scriptures. One is from the editors of the Bible. That's not inspired. Um, and then the next one that says a song of um, praise of David, which is in the same basic font as the scriptural text, is scripture. It's part of the original. So yeah, thanks for asking that. So someone read 145, one through nine. Thank you. 
What is speaking here? Well, yeah, revealing, but what is being revealed, or what is doing the revealing? What is doing the speaking? Um, what's that? History. Yeah, history. It, the, the generation, so there's this idea of generations speaking to one another, but also, yeah, the works of God, right? The works of God, the acts of God are being proclaimed one generation to another, yes, but it's the acts that God has done that um, speak, they shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. So uh, what acts are they probably, as Israelites, talking about? Yeah, sure, the Exodus would be a huge one, right? And what is the Exodus? Um, God says the Egyptians and the nations, by and large, will know me through what I do in the Exodus. So it's not just, um, it's the actions of God himself in history that display his majesty. Now, um, what is the difficulty, um, and this kind of goes along with the difficulty of saying creation is revelation. It is. Is history revelation? Yes, it is. What is the difficulty of saying that God is known, more facts about God are known through history? What do you mean? Okay. Yeah, so you could twist the facts, right? So you could take, because you, you um, so um, uh, there's that aspect. If you're reporting it to someone else, you could skew the facts. But let's suppose I'm in it, just think about me as an observer of history. So I observe how history is unfolding. I observe how facts are unfolding. And um, I believe that all of those things are from God. Ultimately, God is disclosing through time his eternal counsels, um, which seems to fall under the heading of Revelation. But what is the difficulty then? Yeah, Bruce. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. Yeah. Sure. Right. Okay, yeah. But, like, if I'm looking at an, I'm observing, like, I'm just, I'm reading the newspaper, right, or whatever sources of seeing things unfold in time, and I believe that um, if I, you know, understanding the facts and how they're unfolding, and I say, well, that's God disclosing himself, and I say that, well, if it's revelation, then I can know more about God through it, what's the difficulty? Not impossibility, but the difficulty. Well, there's that. So that goes back to what Julie was saying about twisting. It's... Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. Right. Well, and even if you look at history, um, you see a, um, a lot of horrible things. <laughs> Right? Um, even just apart from the filter and the distortion, right? Um, you see good things and you see a lot of horrible things. And so if I'm just looking at history and how it's unfolding, is God manifesting himself? Yes. But the difficulty is interpreting it, right? Um, that's really kind of what it comes down to is how do you interpret it? It is revelation, but um, it, 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 um, it's difficult to interpret it. Um, same thing, even if you put it down to a microcosm level, don't we see things that happen in our lives, which is history, part of history, right, unfolding, and there are things that we can look at and say, well, I prayed for this, and I saw God answer a prayer, right? What is happening there? That's the unfolding of history, and you're interpreting stuff that happens as God acting, and rightfully so. I think there's warrant to do that in the scriptures, right? But um, you have to have a framework that is allowing you to accurately interpret history and what's going on. And ultimately, that's going to drive you back to the scriptures themselves. So is God disclosing himself in history? Absolutely, through acts and things that happen, 
through wars and the cessation of wars and all sorts of things. God is declaring himself. But it's not, um, it's not that God is communicating um, uh, uh, unclearly. It's that he is com- um, we need another framework to interpret those facts. You see what I'm saying? There's a difference there. Yeah, Brenda. Right. Sure. Right. 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 It's kind of that issue with the believer-unbeliever distinction, right? The unbeliever sees creation and does know there's a God and does have a relationship of enmity and suppresses that truth uh, and can know some true facts about God, but they don't, they don't interpret those, they don't respond to those facts rightly. Similarly with history, history is really creation in temporal sequence, right? Um, it's creation in temporal sequence. So uh, you can think about, okay, God is revealing himself in creation in this temporal sequence of history, but if you, um, if you don't have a relationship with God, you're not going to interpret it rightly, and you're not going to respond to it rightly. Uh, what is the big refrain in the wisdom literature of the Bible? It's the, like the catchphrase that you see in Proverbs. The blank of the blank is the beginning of knowledge. What is it? Fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, meaning you have a right awe and reverence and genuine fear of who God is, um, and that that shapes your perspective, um, and it gives you puts you in the proper place to be able to interpret reality rightly. But if you're uh, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, then of course you're going to look at things like what happens um, in in uh, Turkey and Syria. And you're going to say, well, uh, I'm interpreting it from my frame of reference as, a, um, as someone who wants to be God. And I'm interpreting that to say, well, there can't be a God. I can't, there can't be a rival to me, um, you know, because, uh, you know, I wouldn't do it, right? So it really has to, there you have to, even in ways that God is revealing himself, such as in history or creation, you still have to ultimately come back to the scriptures, which are kind of the most, um, I don't even necessarily want to say the most clear, but I guess that's maybe a good way of saying it for right now, um, that give us the framework for being able to ter- interpret the rest of it. Um, does that make sense? Questions on that? Yeah, Tony. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, and that sense of righteousness and how you see that in Scripture and how that moves you and puts the Spirit in you. But then you have a macro that's just like the 50,000 foot view of history that kind of overarchs. But when you get in between, you get on the ground, it gets a little muddy. Sure. Yeah, right. 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 But then there's other things where 
right. So as a believer, now let's, let's kind of try to pull these different media together. So as a believer, as those who have a, a peaceful relationship with God through Christ, we can know God through creation and through the scriptures and through um, history rightly. Okay, so if I look at creation, what is that supposed to do? I can see God's majesty and his power and his greatness on display, and that affects me, right, that affectional knowledge, such that I respond in worship. And it does it in a different way, not, not contradictory by any means, but it does it in a different way than Scripture itself does. Although the same thing is supposed to happen when I go to the Scriptures. I go to the Scriptures, I'm supposed to learn more facts, more notions about God, but that's supposed to affect me and my disposition towards worship, and towards obedience. I can look at history, and um, I can look back. And even in things like Alexander the Great or the Roman Empire building roads such that Paul can take, you know, the gospel all over the place, and we can see God's fingerprints of providence, and we have the right framework from the scriptures to interpret those things, but even those facts drive me, affect me, and drive me towards worshiping God. So, but it only works, right? It only reveals what God wants it to reveal if you are coming from the right framework of having a relationship with him. Um, yes, unbelievers can know things from creation and even from history, uh, but unless they, but they're actively suppressing that truth. They don't have that a relationship of peace through Christ yet, and only when that happens can they respond to those different ways and know God and know him um, truly through those other things. Here's a question. How inerrant is God's revelation through all of these different media, creation, history, and his word? How inerrant is God's revelation through those things? Completely, because if God is speaking, God speaks totally accurately. Um, so, whether you're talking creation, or you're talking scripture, or you're talking history, or even God's word orally through prophets, or directly, all of that is equally inerrant, because God's the one speaking. The problem is, and we've encountered this, um, is, um, uh, the problem is, is that uh, interpreters are not infallible. Right? Interpreters of all those means of revelation are not infallible. Uh, creation, history, and the scriptures, all of those are infallible sources of revelation, uh, but we're not all infallible interpreters. The key is authorial intent. What is God seeking to communicate through these different media? God is seeking to communicate through creation, his majesty, his eternal power, his divine nature, his existence, even through history, he's communicating his goodness um, and his majesty and his greatness. Uh, but those are not sufficient because God did not intend for those sources of revelation to bring you to salvation. Only scripture and the gospel, ultimately, uh, is sufficient to um, bring you to salvation. Okay. Any questions on all of this? Again, the overarching question is, how do we know God? Here are different sources where we can know God, but you can only know God through those ways uh, if you have a right relationship with him and you're using the scriptures to interpret all of those different sources. Patricia. Oh, good question, right? Um, so that is the um, problem of evil. Um, so that's the common objection to basically every atheist or agnostic, or whoever, is going to raise, well, why are there evil things? And the response is, because human beings are evil, and because human beings have brought evil to the world. Uh, obviously, no one, well, you know, someone could come back and say, well, did a human being cause the earthquake? No, not directly, but then you have to go back to, why are there earthquakes? Why is the creation groaning? Well, it is because of sin entering the world. That humanity's sin didn't just affect other humans, it also affects the creation. 
which is why we have things like earthquakes. But the good news is not only is God redeeming individuals, he's going to redeem the whole creation. Um, and so uh, it, it, it points to that redemption in Christ. So, yeah, Ashley. Right. We have a wrong understanding of people yes. and their nature. Like, we all deserve to be crushed under rubble. Yes. So it's God's mercy that keeps us from being destroyed every single second. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's true, right? It's a wrong standpoint to think that, um, that well, and Jesus says this, uh, like, um, he's talking about this Tower of Siloam in Luke who, like, falls on these people and, like, he says, well, do you think they're worse sinners because they got crushed under a tower than you guys are? But you're, it's the same thing for you unless you repent. Um, you're all going to likewise perish. Um, so no one's innocent um, in that sense. So yes, Bruce, and then Julie. Julie. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. In fact, that's interesting if you notice in the account of the curse, Adam and Eve are not cursed. They're not. The ground is cursed, but, but Adam and Eve aren't. Because when you're cursed in the way that God curses, like you're done. Like it's over. No redemption. Um, but what you see is the ground's cursed um, and, um, uh, and, and the serpent, obviously. doesn't say it in the text yeah yeah there's consequences yeah yeah there's consequences it's just not described as a curse yeah Mm -hmm. yeah yes yes Yes. Yep. Yeah, and, and that's part of God declaring his majesty, his existence, all of it. So, um, okay, a uh, couple things really quickly. So, as we know and increasingly know God, so we have a relationship, a peaceful relationship with him, we have that sort of knowledge of God, that relational knowledge. We are seeking to grow in knowledge in terms of notions and facts about God, We've talked about the sources of that. The primary source, of course, is Scripture, although creation and history give that. Here's the reality, and we're still in Psalm 145, I believe. Look at what Psalm 145, verse 3 says. Someone read that again. Okay, what does one, Psalm 145, verse 3 say? His, yeah, his, his greatness is unsearchable. Uh, God's greatness is without exploration, would be another way of rendering that. Um, so as we think about knowing more facts about God, our knowledge is always and forever limited. And I mean even in the new heavens and the new earth. Our understanding and our knowledge of God will be ever increasing but always limited. Only God has perfect knowledge. And only God has perfect knowledge of himself. Um, Job 37.16 and 1 John 3.20 speak that God has perfect knowledge. He knows all things. So God knows himself perfectly. But God is a being with uh, infinite depth to his character, to his majesty, to his greatness. So as we talk about knowing God more in terms of facts, we will never come to the end of knowing more about God, even in eternity. Um, Turn to Ephesians 2 to see this.
Uh, someone read well, I'll go ahead and start reading from verse 4 and I want you to pay special attention to verse 7 but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now catch this. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in the coming ages. And as we've said, the goal, um, how Jesus describes eternal life, is knowing God. So when we think about knowing God and that happening in eternity, uh, God has immeasurable riches to unfold. And since we're limited, God's greatness is without searching out. Forever and ever and ever, for all eternity, we will increasingly know more about God. But as we've talked about, that knowledge, that notional knowledge, should affect us, uh, change our dispositions, and change our actions, that actional knowledge. And so that's going to be happening for all eternity. Yes, Gary? Uh, Ephesians 2.7 is the specific verse that I was... Um, Ephesians 2.7, yeah. Yeah, that idea of immeasurable riches, that God's going to be unfolding the immeasurable riches of who he is for all eternity. That is the good news of eternity, right? If you think of eternity and living forever, uh, you might think, well, that sounds boring right? But the why eternity won't be boring is because God has infinite depth. He is without searching out, and so we will always forever increasingly know more about him. Our affections will be driven and, cap, um, and captured by that. We will respond in worship properly, uh, and so this idea of our limits of knowledge are actually good news for our, our hope of eternity and knowing God. So... Uh, any thoughts on that or questions as we uh, close? Yes, Kevin. Yeah, good question. So you're talking about 1 Corinthians 13. So 1 Corinthians 13 is interesting because Paul says all, uh, if there's knowledge, it will pass away. Um, here, we can go there really quickly. So 1 Corinthians 13. Um, so 1 Corinthians 13, 1, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, so, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but not have not love, I gain nothing. Knowledge in that sense is uh, it's a, a particular spiritual gift that he actually references in 1 Corinthians 12. It's a gift of knowledge, like a revelation. Knowledge has been revealed to you. So that's going to go away. Um, right, because in, he goes on later to talk about um, in verse 11, or excuse me, uh, well, verse 8, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. For tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, all three of those are revelatory gifts it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So the gift uh, like we said earlier, the reason we have revelation like prophecy or tongues or knowledge, those are revelatory gifts in the context of 1 Corinthians. The reason those happens is because we are indirect. It's indirect. We don't know God face to face. When we know God face to face, he's going to be disclosing himself directly for all eternity, such that Paul can even say, we shall know fully even as we've been fully known. Now, what I believe Paul is talking about there, fully over the course of eternity right? Like, it's, um, uh, it's continual disclosure, but you're going to need all eternity uh, to know that fullness and directness face-to-face. -face. What's that? Because of God, is, is greatness is without searching out. Yeah, yeah. All right, we should be done. Uh, but I hope that 
all this talk about, like, how do we know God, right? Um, it's just setting us up for doing some searching of God's character, but um, there's really great joy in knowing that all eternity will be knowing more and more about God, and we will never come to the end of it. So let's pray. Oh, Lord God, your greatness is without searching out. Um, Lord, we, we want to know you more. We thank you for the gift of knowledge, um, not just relational, but also notional and affectional and actional for all eternity. Lord, we long for that. We long to do it better now, uh, looking forward to the perfection of it in the future. So prepare our hearts for that. Thank you that um, the gathering of your people is just a small foretaste of what is coming. So help us to respond to you rightly in worship, in prayer, in the hearing of your word, uh, and in obedience to your word. Help us to help one another to know you more this morning. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.